are listening to Win Win, a podcast brought to you by the global nonprofit organization Win Women in Innovation. Each episode features inspiring innovators from the startup world, innovation consultancies, and Fortune 500 companies who share their innovation secrets and career trajectories every Monday. As for me, I'm your host, Zoya Kozakov, global product lead at Win by Night and product manager by day. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Win Win Podcast. We are back to regularly scheduled programming after last week, and if you haven't yet checked out our episode with Laura Tuckle-Mariam, who is Head of Product Innovation for Animation at Netflix, definitely give it a listen as it did come out more recently. In continuing the very important conversation around diversity, equity, and inclusion, Today, I had the chance to sit down with Sarah Lux Lee, who is founder and CEO of Minder Global, a workforce development organization that builds belonging in the world's leading workplaces. They conduct strategic consulting services, events, and have a technology platform that helps employee resource groups foster and scale in the workplace and beyond the workplace. As the world is going through such incredible turbulence, this conversation feels more relevant than ever. I took away so much as Sarah's point of view really straddles the notion that all problems have people at their core, but there are still very technical or quantitative ways to approach human problems in combination with what feels more soft skill driven. I am sure you'll find some of her tips on prioritization and user research, as well as pivots as inspiring as I did. And without giving too much away, let's dive right into it. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to the Win Win Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here with you. I was so energized by our last conversation and feel like you have such an interesting trajectory, both as an entrepreneur as well as the nature of your product. So I'd really love to start our conversation by taking it back to right after when you graduated from your master's at Columbia University. And if my memory serves me right, you had a baby six weeks after. So take me back to that time. What were you studying and what was your original plan after your degree? Yeah, gosh, you are taking me back now. That was uh, just over five years ago. As you might be able to hear, uh, I'm I'm not from New York or I'm based. I'm a Sydney cider. And I had come to the US uh, to study for two years doing a Master of Public Administration at Columbia. In Sydney, um, just before my studies, I was working in the Australian Senior Executive Service, working for the uh, Department of Education, came over here to really expand my knowledge in public policy. And then, as you say, found myself uh, in the situation where my whole second year of my master's, I was pregnant um, and, and then had my baby daughter six weeks later. And, you know, initially... I intended to, you know, really give myself the Australian culturally accepted year of parental leave by not applying for anything immediately after my master's. And and those were my best laid plans. But uh, I got a little distracted because, uh, you know, in those weeks and months following the birth of my daughter, uh, I was really struck by the significance of the shift in my environment. You know, I'd gone from these two incredibly intellectually enriching years, hearing from world leaders and tackling big social problems and working at the UN and people really coming to me with an interest in my opinion 
and my problem solving capabilities to now holding a, a newborn baby, I found that every conversation became about nursery rhymes and diaper choices and sleeping right. schedules and and there didn't really seem to be a bridge between those two worlds that I could see at least and so you know the the very beginnings of Mind uh, way back then uh, were very very casual uh, we, I started you know bringing my Columbia Uni professors out to cafes in Brooklyn where I lived to give lectures on all sorts of topics where crying babies were welcome. Um, expand your mind, crying babies welcome was the first the first model of Minder. And things have obviously changed and shifted a lot from there, but, you know, all kind of going back to that initial seed of an idea, which is that, you know, the diversity of our lived experiences and our backgrounds and our who we are as as whole humans is, is really very valuable and we need to be creating spaces to bring all those parts of ourselves, you know, to what we do intellectually, professionally, socially and so on. Our co-founder of uh, Win Women in Innovation, Althea, she was actually also very pregnant during her MBA also at Columbia, coincidentally. I was really curious about, you know, the attitudes that perhaps you experienced while being probably very visibly pregnant while being in school. What was that shift like? Do you feel like there was some judgment? Because I know from my own grad school experience, every conversation in that last year is about what are you going to do after and who's getting a job where and, and, you know, how much is everybody getting paid? Right. So just curious for you, you had probably a very different experience. You know, that's a really interesting question that I haven't been asked before. I will say, I think I was very lucky um, on that front for a few different reasons. One is that, you know, again, another bringing out another Australian cultural norm, but Aussies tend to do their masters a little further on in their degrees um, than here, where a lot of people, you know, might go straight through your undergraduate to your uh, graduate education, and as a result, folks are going in to master's education already having, you know, five plus years of an established career, um, already kind of starting to establish themselves, you know, personally in their lives. And I, I think the nature of mm-hmm. the the degree that I did, which was a public policy master's, attracted a very international audience where similarly a lot of other, you know, um, participants in the cohorts were coming from all sorts of different parts of their lives. So I don't think I personally felt um, the, you know, the the pressure or the judgment that you're describing, although we certainly know that it exists in the corporate workplace. Um, And and so in many ways, I felt lucky that that motherhood penalty that that has been proven to exist uh, in corporate America didn't impact me because I was studying at the time and I was working in this very international environment. There's also something to be said about people talk about, you know, the shift of having children later in your life, because a lot of women say, I want to put my career first. But if the timing works out, I, I think that there's opportunity to do that earlier. So it's it's really interesting that you've had that experience. Going back to kind of the the birth of your other baby, Minder, you mentioned that the company really started out as you having these lectures outside of the workplace, taking place in Brooklyn and coffee shops. But ultimately, I know that today your product is really about the workplace and solving those issues in the workplace. So how did it start from outside of the workplace to then being transformed into a workplace company? Today, Minder builds belonging in the world's leading workplaces. We work, you know, truly with the leaders in in most industries. So, you know, 
Google and Meta and Adobe and tech and Citibank and MasterCard and Aries and finance and, and, you know, and so on through, through most of the categories that you can throw at us. And we support those organizations really to think about once you have attracted a diverse workforce, what, what's going to happen when people actually show up? How do we ensure that the workplace is ready uh, to receive the diverse force that companies are now working really hard to attract? Um, and, and to ensure that people are going to arrive at work and be able to find the community they need, the resources they need, the support, the mentorship, and, and so on in order to thrive there and to stay there long term. And, and we do that in four main ways. We have a, an enterprise SaaS platform called Minder Connect, which is an ecosystem for employee communities, usually organized around things like gender, race and ethnicity, sexual orientation, disability and other important diversity dimensions. Um, we have a really popular mentorship program called the Minder Mentorship Exchange. And then we have a program development arm and a strategic consultancy that you know helps organizations figure out how to get all of this stuff right. So how do we get from expand your mind, crying babies, welcome to here was the question that you were asking. Uh, and I would say it's been a very organic process. So, you know, going back to what we were just talking about, you know, around about five years ago, bringing these professors out to cafes in Brooklyn, things took off very quickly. Uh, it was a very simple concept, but Minder, th- this new concept of Minder was really the first that was taking this intellectual capital seriously, um, that was saying, hey, you know, all of these brilliant young people in New York who've been building and, you know, attaining and achieving and thriving and now had little ones by their sides were just being shut out of so many important conversations. How could we change that? Uh, and so the ball rolled very quickly. Shortly after, we partnered with uh, the United Nations and co-hosted the first baby-friendly event in UN history, made UN security real crazy. And then Beatrice Finn, who had just accepted the 2017 Nobel Peace Prize, saw the footage of this spectacle at the UN and had her team reach out to say, you know, she had just done the whole Nobel circuit and and she really hadn't been asked about how her journey as a parent had affected her journey to the Nobel Peace Prize. Um, so, you know, could she come in and share this story with our community, which, of course, we were thrilled, so excited yeah. about. And so things were moving very fast, but, you know, in really listening to the community of individuals who are participating in all of this, I was hearing very clearly that, you know, folks were were showing up to these events, connecting, learning, feeling amazing, coming out really uplifted, and then going back to work the next day and coming back down to zero. Because, you know, the, the general sentiment was if I spend so much time at work, so many of my sources of pressure come from work, that if my workplace can't get this stuff right, then everything else is sort of window dressing. And so it became very clear to me that to make a real impact here, we needed to take this concept of really embracing and harnessing these different parts of, of people's lives into the workplace, working directly with the employers. Our first corporate partnerships were really from those initial users, such as they were. Over time, you know, our, our clients have said to us, like, this model 
is so impactful with women and with parents like can you take this model and apply it and in, in working with to support a black professional network our lgbtq plus group our disability community um, and we kind of just continued to grow capabilities to be able to meet uh, that demand and then kind of the final piece of all this was it became really clear that you know whether you are a 300-person accounting firm or whether you are Google, if you are trying to do this stuff right, if you're trying to build a genuine sense of community that's going to sustain, if you're trying to connect people and build that sense of belonging, you are falling into, you know, coming up against the same roadblocks. We saw all of those challenges playing out over and over and over again for all of our different partners. Um, and that's what led us to, to develop the, um, the enterprise platform, which really is a, you know, turnkey 360 degree solution for any organization that's trying to build, develop, grow, sustain, advance these types of communities and gives every player in that ecosystem all the tools they're going to need in order for those initiatives to be successful. To go back to one of the, you know, different parts of the story that you were sharing. And that was the fact that when you really made that switch from working outside of the workplace and then bringing it in was really based on your customer feedback. And we oftentimes get feedback from customers, whether that's saying that something doesn't work or something is going really well and get me this feature. And I think it's a really tough balancing act of knowing something your customers don't, offering them something beyond maybe what they're asking for, but also being truly customer-centric and listening to their needs. But how do you really approach finding that balance and how do you approach it today as I'm sure you've gotten lots of feedback since launching your product? Uh, the way I have thought about striking that balance is to be really led by the problem that I'm solving for rather than being led by the solution that I'm providing. And that generally has really helped in having that combination of a North Star. I know where I'm going and know what the problem is that I'm trying to solve, but you're not falling too in love with the particular way that I have chosen. To, for example, taking the, the initial pivot from a purely community-facing organization into a workforce facing one. The problem that I was looking to solve is that we all as human beings come to these forks in our road where the current structures of the way that we work and the way that we learn and the way that we gather force us to choose one really important thing in our lives over another. And, you know, in, in the particular instance at the time was, you know, women who had been, or predominantly women who had been really building and investing in their careers, now having a baby, had found that they had to make a choice. They had to either completely paper over right. what was important to them at home and continue working as though they had no child at home waiting for them, or they were very often removing themselves from the workplace in order to take the other fork in the road, whether that was temp you know, for a temporary period or a longer period of time. And I think at one point, I mean, you might have to fact check me on this, mm -hmm. but I think the official LinkedIn stat was that 43% of women have taken themselves out of the workplace at, you know, at some point for those kinds of reasons. And so the problem I was trying to solve is, you know, how do we build a bridge between those two selves, almost between those two experiences? How do we enable some of what makes us amazing as parents to strengthen us at work? And so when the feedback from 
essentially customers was, hey, you know, the, the concept is great, but it's not hitting at the right part of my experience. It was then easy to make that sort of shift. Mm-hmm. In, in that instance and giving people the resources that they needed at the, in the right context within their lives where it was going to be the most effective um, and also honestly the most scalable because the number of people we can reach through our corporate partnerships dwarfs the number of people we were ever able to reach as a, as a community organisation. Yes, we, we get lots of feedback. We get lots of feature requests for the platform. Um, we listen to all of them. We take that user feedback really, really seriously. And we're always thinking about how we can, you know, further even enrich that pipeline of feedback. Does that mean we build every requested feature? Of course not. Um, but we, you know, we really invest in listening and, and looking for trends um, and understanding, you know, where where can we solve the person's problem by getting better at how we explain different ways to use our existing tools where does the person's problem indicate or you know come come together with a whole bunch of other feedback we're seeing elsewhere in the constellation of of mind to connect uh, that indicates we really need to be thinking in new ways about the way we're providing value with whether it's with a particular feature or, or functionality or whatever else and then just being really disciplined about triaging. Going beyond what you've already shared with us, I'd really be curious to understand what role you think technology plays in solving the belonging issues and and why you think it's really the answer to to the problem. Yeah, I think it's a really critical part of the answer. The reason, one of the reasons why we talk about an ecosystem is because truly there are multiple, you know, multiple elements that need to coexist here. Um, the technology being a really critical piece, you know, high quality content being a really critical piece and kind of internal training and, and understanding being a really critical piece. The technology piece, I think, is essential because, you know, the way I think about it is over about the past five to, you know, five to ten years, let's say, organisations have made so much progress in terms of really understanding and internalising the business case for diversity, equity and inclusion and and belonging, which drives them all. But the way I I tend to think about it is they've many organisations, even the really large and sophisticated ones, when it comes to this question, they've been building cities, but they haven't been building any roads. There just hasn't been an infrastructure in this space. And in part, mm. that's because I think the true business level buy-in lagged behind kind of a, a, a little bit of a box checking exercise that might have happened first. And when you're box checking, you're really looking at flashy visible pieces rather than underlying structural solutions. Um, now, currently, we're seeing a real shift there in mindset where organizations are saying, hey, you know, we can no longer paper over these types of, of questions. Uh, you know, employees are getting much more um, sophisticated in, in how they analyze whether an organization is serious, right. the commitments that they make to, to diversity and inclusion. Um, and if we don't have an infrastructure to make all of that work and sustain and scale, then we're just not going to be able to keep up with the market. What What is it that technology can provide that, you know, just content on its own doesn't? Well, number one, corporate culture is just people, right? Like 
the corporate culture represents all of the people who today and in the future will make up this organization and how they are and how they want to be um, and who they want to be. A corporate culture is only going to be as strong as the people who are leading it. And the people who are leading it tend to be doing a whole bunch of other things at the same time because they're there to do the job for which they were hired. What that means is that you essentially get almost a relay race when it comes to, to this type of, of area of building culture. You know, you'll have someone who will lead the Women's Leadership Network for a couple of years and then hand it over. You'll have leadership groups that will ebb and flow. People will move around the country and have to re-establish the types of connections that they made in their previous office. And so absent a technological underpinning that provides consistent tools and guidance for how to build these kind of communities and lead them and and continue to sustain them, you have a whole lot of wheel reinvention. What Minder Connect does is it provides a consistent platform so that whether you are approaching this from day one or day 100 or, you know, or 10 years down the track of, of leading in this kind of role, you know exactly how you can slot in. You've learned from the people who've come before you. You have access to everything that's, you know, all of the events that happened last year and everything that's been planned for the year to come and everything that's been decided in the meetings about these types of initiatives and all the feedback. So that's one critical piece. Another one is that creating programming that builds belonging requires some investment, not only of that people power, but of of financial resources. And without having any real idea of how it's all going and what it's all doing, it becomes exceedingly difficult for the, you know, the change makers within these companies to really make the asks that are needed in order to sustain this kind of work uh, and to justify them and for leadership to be able to confidently, you know, support them and allocate that that investment of, of funding and of executive buy-in. So the, another reason that tech is critical is because data is critical. And without a consistent underpinning, it's really hard to know, you know, across all of the locations of a company or across, you know, all of the different types of communities, across all of these different um, diversity dimensions, where are the wins coming from? How are they building belonging? Are we seeing an impact on retention and recruitment? Any other solution is really going to just be relying on asking people what they think about all that. Whereas if you're organizing this whole initiative with the technical underpinning, you can really see in real time the impact that the initiatives are having. And so we found that that to be really critical as well. I really can see how that worked out, especially because on this podcast with in relation to innovation, we talk about how so many of these really innovative initiatives get shut down because people don't either have the patience to measure their outcomes or the capabilities. And it really sounds like Minder Connect provides that, flipping the question on its head a little bit. When you talk about belonging, something that can feel very fuzzy for a very large scale company or a set of people, based on some of the studies published on Harvard Business Review and your site, a strong sense of belonging can lead to some pretty incredible statistics like a 56% increase in job performance, 75% fewer sick days, and $52 million of savings for a 10,000 person company. And of course, an increase in retention, which is so, so fundamental, especially now where companies are absolutely bleeding people. Why do you really think that belonging 
solve so many of these problems and such different problems too, it seems. I mean, I think it comes back down to, you know, what we were talking about before, which is that any organization is truly only as strong as the people that that make it up. As you say, I think every employer right now is feeling the pain point of losing talent, struggling to find new talent. You know, we're really seeing the critical importance of people that I think we've all always known, but some in, in different times in the right. market, it's harder to, to see uh, as clearly as we are now. And those people are just that. They're people who are human beings with needs and interests, you know, the fundamental drive to connect and to derive meaning from what it is that we're doing, whether it's at work or, or more broadly in life. Employees who who have that sense of connection, who have that sense of fulfillment, who have the sense that all of the things that make up who they are not only are accepted at work, but are celebrated and harnessed and are an active part of why they're valued by their organization, you know, are going to tap into that sense of fulfillment and meaning just to a greater extent. Um, like we recently did a, a, a week-long festival of belonging for a 100,000-person company. Um, and we, we we took some data, you know, throughout and after that initiative and found that that one week of programming led 60% of the workforce to say it had likely extended their length of tenure at the company. That one week that was really focused on highlighting, emphasizing, drawing out all the things that connect us to each other as colleagues and peers, to our leaders, and then to the mission of the company as a whole and to give us that sense that we belong within that, it really blew my mind at the time. That 60% impact on, on the likelihood of retention and it makes common sense. You can kind of see why it would play out that way. If you have people who feel the sense that they are where they belong and that their company values them for who they are, that they will work harder and be more productive and, and stay much longer and, and be a part of you know everything that that company is trying to build. It really does feel like such common sense, yet I, I think it's fascinating how difficult it's been for companies to achieve this. And it's really exciting that your product and your company really enables people to to take these things that should be given and should be in place and helping them grow. And so with that, I'd love to ask you one last innovation question, and that is, where do you see yourself and your industry one month from now, one year from now, and 10 years from now? <laughs> Big questions. One month from now, I think we will still be really focused on building our team. We are very aggressively hiring at the moment. We're hiring across software development, product design, sales, marketing, communications, program delivery, you know, operations, so many open roles. Um, and it's a real focus at the moment. And of course, we're doing it in one of the hardest employment markets of, of history. So I suspect that a month from now, that will still be very much what we're focused on. And I would encourage anybody who's listening, who feels connected to the mission of building belonging in the world's leading workplaces and building strong employee communities around all of our diversity dimensions to reach out. I'm Sarah at mindaglobal.com. And I would love to hear from you. A year from now, well, I'm pregnant again. So a year from now, I'm going to have a, another little one. I'll be adjusting Congrats. to life. Thank you. Adjusting to life as a mom of three in a very small Brooklyn apartment. 
And and in terms of the business, you know, we are really looking at some accelerated scaling at the moment where, you know, we, we just launched the software product in September of 2021 and the uptake has been very swift and is, you know, is accelerating very fast. So I think a year from now we'll be, you know, continuing to adjust to that higher level of scale and to serving more and more customers both through, you know, the, the tech side and the um, best practices uh, services side of the organisation. Ten years from now, I hope that a lot of these conversations that we've had today will just be obvious. Um, you know, the notion that all of the diversity dimensions that make up who a person is, that that, that diversity of, of experience and of background and of thinking as well, the idea that all of that strengthens our institutions, I hope will be old news. But not only that, that the ways in which we can foster that by, you know, not just what's happening today, which is organizations saying, okay, you're a woman, can you lead our women's network? You know, but saying, hey, you know, who's out there who cares passionately about this? Here is a, you know, a proven set of tools that you can use so that what we're asking you to do is to elevate your leadership vision and the things that matter to you and the things that you know based on your experience. I hope that too will be old news. So, you know, I'm really hoping that in 10 years from now, all of this will be, you know, a a regular part of what it means to work in corporate America and that we will be starting to see the flow on effects because we know that we can talk about retention stats, but to really see if they're true, we need that 10-year period to see are we retaining higher levels of of women and of people of colour and of people with disabilities and are we seeing more and more folks elevated to positions of leadership and to hold those positions of leadership. I hope that that's where we'll be. We'll be seeing the impacts of all the changes that are happening today and we'll be in a workplace environment where not only are people bringing their whole selves to work but their workplace is really harnessing everything about that whole self that, you know, is, is really, really valuable. Amazing. Super, super exciting. And I so appreciate all of your insights. Thank you for joining us on the Win Win Podcast today. Thanks so much for having me, Zoya. Thanks for listening to Win Win, brought to you by Win, Women and Innovation, and myself, Zoya Kozakov. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit womenandinnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.